Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and tonight I'm going to break down everything that happened from Week 15 NFL Sunday, semifinals of most of your fantasy football championships out there. I sincerely hope that you all were able to capture the win, unless you were, of course, against another listener, and that'd be a pretty awkward position for me. You know, hopefully you guys tied and both advanced something. I don't know. I'll think the rest of that through later. Anyway, purpose of this podcast is to go through every game from Sunday. I want to, you know, focus a little bit on the main, you know, top performers and stuff, but more than anything, you know, I've had a chance to go through every Every game watched either live or on, you know, NFL Game Pass condensed sense. Want to point out some of the beyond the box score stuff, you know, who should have had a touchdown with a better pass, who dropped a touchdown, who had a backbreaking fumble that could have changed the tide of the day, stuff like that. So if you miss the Saturday games real quick, you know, credit to the Bills and Packers on getting the wins. Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs were absolutely amazing. Aaron Rodgers hardly on top of his game with five sacks and only 143 yards on 29 attempts. But hey, when you got Aaron Jones, plenty good enough to make, get the job done. Also, I'll give credit to DJ Moore for his 131 receiving yards. Throw the ball to DJ Moore and good things happen. Uh, without further ado, though, let's stick to the Sunday matchups. I want to start off with the Cowboys. 41-33 to victory over the 49ers. And like this was like a throwback to kind of the Dak era Cowboys. Just a complete shootout with some funky just end of the game uh, scoring business going back and forth but you know Andy Dalton hey wins and wins and when he was uh, you know 209 yards two touchdowns no picks had numerous throws he missed out there but give the guy credit to me this was Dalton's third best game of the year behind what he did against the Bengals and against the Vikings. This was a defense that also isn't great at getting to the passer. That's why I think we saw him have the you know moderate success that he did. But hey, give him some credit. I mean, he had some awesome downfield throws, notably to C.D. Lamb uh, on two occasions. You know, he took two sacks. But hey, this was his third best game of the season. I think that you know the Red Rocket out there. You know, he's someone I've been pretty uh, critical of throughout the season. Uh, but hey, in his defense, you know, playing behind this this lackluster offensive line with all the injuries they've had, can't expect all that much more. The big story of the day, though, was Tony Pollard getting the spot start with Ezekiel Elliott's sideline due to a calf injury. Broke a 40-yard touchdown to ice things at the end. Guy broke no fewer than three broken tackles on his way uh, to the end zone. So just, you know, a great game. This was a condensed offense here, and we saw Pollard play 90% of this backfield snaps. Usually, it's uh, Zeke in that 60-70% range mode, and Pollard has actually been playing 30-40% in recent weeks. In the past, you know, really when Dak was under center. 
it was full on Deke, 80, full on Zeke, 80% plus. But, you know, whether it's them just realizing that Pollard's been really efficient with his touches or kind of penalizing Zeke for all the fumbles throughout the year, Pollard, even before Zeke sat down, was eating more into his workload than we've seen in past years. But just a great game from Pollard. You know, he started off pretty high and he was doing good through the air. He actually had a six catches for 63 yards uh, on nine targets in this one. So, you know, CeeDee Lamb had 85 yards, but nobody else was over even 30 receiving yards. You know, Pollard wasn't having the great game. We were going to be in a situation where if he didn't break that 40 yarder everyone could take away his one good you know 20 yard run and say he wasn't that great the rest of the game didn't matter he was able to ice it when it mattered so look you know we got this news early in the morning we were on the uh, pff sunday show and my you know i went to twitter and just basically said hey he's my uh, you know a top 12 rb on the week don't freak out don't start him over you know david montgomery or alvin kamara all these studs at the top but you know, I'm happy we went ahead, took him ahead of the 49ers guys, took him ahead of, you know, just Leonard Fournette and just these other uh, people. And the main reason was because, you know, it wasn't just that Tony Pollard is this great talent. It was more because if you take away Zeke from this backfield, who else do they have? I mean, they had something named Rico Dowdle, whose name I have not even heard of until today, also getting touches back there. So, you know, it's more of a game of opportunity. We failed a few times, you know, chasing opportunity with Duke Johnson and some other types. So there is a balance to find in between talent and opportunity, but in general, people continue to chase that opportunity as long as Zeke is out Tony Pollard has plenty of it he'll be an RB1 in week 16 if Zeke remains sidelined so with the 49ers, Nick Mullins, not his best game by any stretch of the imagination. I feel like every Nick Mullins game is like almost the same. He'll make a couple big throws, you know, kind of he's he has more of an off-script game to him than Jimmy Garoppolo. So when he's playing well, you can kind of talk yourself into it, maybe being a competition at some point, but then usually get some sacks and back-breaking interceptions and ultimately things get away from the offense. So that was the, uh, you know, case in this one. Credit to him for feeding Brandon Ayuk and there were 13 targets. He caught nine of them for 73 yards and a score, but, you know, obviously this wasn't enough to quite get them in front in this one. Uh, Jeff Wilson had 19 carry or 16 carries, 60 yards, and a touchdown. He was working really far behind Raheem Mostert to start, I mean, which made no sense because Mostert was the one coming into the game so banged up, but Wilson ended up getting a lot of the run, and then when Mostert hurt his ankle, that's really when Wilson came in, so you know, we never really quite know what's going on with this backfield. We saw Tevin Coleman getting there a little bit at the end. Same thing with Jarek McKinnon, so you know, a situation where I think we all thought Jeff Wilson was starting to break out, but now both him and Mostert have ankle injuries, so going to be tough to really feel good about anyone in this offense in week 16 and beyond real quickly at the end some just like I said goofiness uh, that was going on CeeDee Lamb returned an onside kick for a touchdown which was a lot of fun we saw AJ Brown do that earlier this year just you know great wide receiver ones uh, making plays one just a legit PPR wide receiver one AJ Brown the other one CeeDee Lamb I think anyone's idea of a wide receiver one in dynasty at this point and then also last play of the game CJ Bathard came in from Nick Mullins who apparently suffered an elbow injury tosses a Hail Mary and Kendrick Bourne went up and got it 49 yards came down with it for the score so again a little bit inflated with CD's uh, you know extra touchdown on that and Kendrick Bourne coming down with it but you know what big players make big plays in big games give them credit uh, I think I mentioned most of, most of the injuries Michael Gallup also had a hip injury so that could further condense some of the uh, Cowboys target share and yeah most are Wilson with the ankles Nick Mullins with the elbow so uh, PFF Lily matchup stat for those new to the podcast every matchup I like to give a specific stat called PFF Lily because I have a 25 and a half pound winner dog named Lily thus PFF Lily so without further ado the PFF Lily matchup stat 56 RBs have had 100 
150 plus carries over the past two seasons. Guys, Tony Pollard ranks number four in PFF rushing grade, number one in forced missed tackles per attempt. He's he's number five in yards per carry and number one in yards after contact per attempt at 4.2. So literally, Tony Pollard, and I even took the carries down because I know 150, maybe that's a little bit too, uh, you know, random of a threshold for some people. I just took 100 rush attempts over the past two years. Doesn't matter. Tony Pollard, number one in forced missed tackles per attempt, number one yards after contact per attempt. I understand Ezekiel Elliott has disappointed relative to that $90 million contract, but seriously, I think we would be having these, you know, free Tony, Tony Pollard deserves more touches, et cetera, type discussions on pretty much any team in the league. Buccaneers took down the Falcons 31 to 27. This was not easy for Tampa Bay. I, you know, had them in pretty much every parlay that was floating out there. Thought this one would not be hard, and they made us sweat. 17 nothing Falcons lead with uh, by halftime. But Matt Ryan doing the damn thing. I mean, 356 yards, three touchdowns through the air. Didn't have any turnovers. You know, well thrown touchdowns to Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, Hayden Hurst. I mean, it was good to see him go out there and put this sort of game together without Julio Jones because it really has been more bad than good with Julio's sideline this year. Which I get, but we are talking about you know ex uh, MVP out there so you would like to see a little bit more but in general I just think this Falcons team this year as a whole has been just far less talented than we've seen in the past so I'm not saying Ryan's you know is on the doorstep of the end of his career or anything like that not a great season but I think you know the big difference between this year and past years probably not so much Matt Ryan probably more so the supporting cast around him not nothing against Julio and Ridley but just look if there's one injury to anywhere on this offense they're painfully thin behind them the offensive lines has already been a train wreck all year that's not even talking about the defense so it is what it is you know they only ran the ball 13 total times in this game 17-0 lead at halftime only ran the ball 13 times Todd Gurley have one rush for negative one yards I mean that's I just wonder if he's if he's even gonna be in the league next year remember the uh, NFL players they do their yearly 100 list I believe they ranked Todd Gurley as the 52nd best player in the league last season time comes at you fast for sure um, but yeah I mentioned you know Ryan played well to win but Calvin Ridley was the one that truly balled out in this one 10 catches on 14 targets 163 yards and a touchdown every time he gets more than eight targets i just tweet out all of his career game lines with at least eight targets because literally his worst one was a six catch 50 yard and a touchdown performance when the guy gets the volume he has not done it yet he's gotten the volume all season long and all those offseason you know cries about you know 2019 chris goffin being 2020 calvin ridley haven't quite uh, crunched the specific numbers just yet but we are truly seeing ridley you know emerge as anyone's idea of a top 10 weekly fantasy football wide receiver with the Buccaneers so yeah you know this was a tough spot they didn't have anything or it wasn't a tough spot but it was a tough spot for them in the second half after they were down 17 nothing. the freaking Falcons Brady came roaring back though 390 yards pair of touchdowns just really one good throw after another I mean they could have had a really long pass interference on Tyler Johnson that was a pretty deep ball from Brady but you know we just saw him step up they started getting it to Mike Evans who had two catches that downed him inside the five yard line ended up finishing one of the drives with a short score to Chris Goblin Leonard Fournette found his way into the end zone twice from the one yard line the Big bomb was a 46-yarder to Antonio Brown. That was a go-ahead score. They finally hooked up on a deep one. So this was a game that we saw, you know, again, Evans go for 110. Uh, AB, 93 yards in the score. Chris Goblin, 36 yards in the score. We've been preaching on this podcast, the upside of this Tampa Bay passing game, basically saying it's not Evans or Brown or Goblin. It's Evans and Brown and Goblin because Brady and this offense might be able to put up enough points to truly enable all three of these guys. We finally saw that. So, you know, last week wasn't so good. But again, that was only because he had to throw the ball just 23 times against 
against the Minnesota Vikings. So Lions on deck in week 16, and we got to go back to the well with all these Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Leonard Fournette wound up being the workhorse, played 65% of the offensive snaps. I was surprised uh, to see that. So, you know, Sean McCoy only 18%, Keyshawn Vaughn 15%. What I thought, you know, it would be more of a split backfield because Fournette wasn't even active in, uh, you know, week 14. So I knew he was coming back to steal, uh, you know, Ronald Jones' early down work. But to see Fournette also lead the way with five targets compared to, you know, only three for Shady and only one for Keyshawn Vaughn after he had seemingly lost his pass down job to them, it was surprising. Fournette was, you know, very replaceable throughout the game. He did have one 17-yard run where he showed a nice little shake and bake ability, made a dude miss. But all in all, just kind of a disappointing performance. But hey, volume is volume. He gets the Lions next week. This Buccaneers team is going to be implied by Vegas to score 30 plus points. It's going to be awfully hard to keep Fournette out of the top 15 running backs if Ronald Jones remains sidelined. Um, no injuries in this one to my knowledge, which is good. Make sure you check out the uh, Tuesday edition of this podcast. I briefly break down Monday Night Football and then go through uh, all the waiver wire claims. We usually have a little more injury information by that point. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat. So look, in this new offense, I mean it was, look, it was Bruce Arians, no risk and no biscuit, but I think a lot of us just expected Brady to do his usual stick. You know, one just pick route after another. A lot of throws the running back and things of that nature and sure they've done that to some extent but 9.8 yard average target death for Brady that's the second highest mark of his career 62% of his passing yards have come on air yards that's the second highest mark of his career Tom Brady is being asked to do more than he really has in recent memory in this offense and to be fair he is responding has Tom Brady been a top five quarterback this year no but I think he'd be very hard-pressed to find 10 better than him through 14 weeks now. He has 34, or excuse me, through 15 weeks, 34 big time throws, only 11 turnover worthy plays. Look, in 2019, he only had 23 big time throws, 17 turnover worthy plays. In 2018, 29 big time throws, 16 turnover worthy plays. I understand, you know, this hasn't been a team that's really met. To this point, they're just sky-high preseason expectations, but they're 9-5. and five. They got the Lions and they got the Falcons. By all accounts, this is going to be an 11-5 team going to playoffs with, you know, four straight pretty commanding victories to their credit. So they're getting hot at the right time. Again, it's never been a situation with Brady having a noodle arm. Quit saying that, people. It's just not even true. If it is true, we'll let you know. It hasn't been the case in 2020. You know, Tom Brady and company, they, they've played really well at times, blowing out the Green Bay Packers, you know, pl- uh, playing the Chiefs down to three points. I know the Chiefs were up a bit. And that one, oh man, the skip mark still on Carlton Davis probably. But just realize, you know, in NFC where we've seen the Seahawks, you know, uh, shit the bed against the Washington football team, or excuse me, no, against the Giants. We saw the Rams lose to the Jets. Like the NFC is so wide open right now. Don't be surprised if the Buccaneers end up being the team that rises to the top. With that said, you know, Packers, Seahawks, Saints, Rams, it's so wide open. You got to love it. These playoffs are going to be a lot of fun. Next matchup, we got the Titans defeating the Lions 46-25. What a performance from this Titans offense in general, and specifically Mr. Ryan Tannehill. You know, we've all been talking about the Derrick Henry chase for 2K and all that, but Tannehill keeps on keeping on himself, really, over the past two years. Anyone's idea of a top 10 real-life and fantasy quarterback ended up throwing for 273 yards, three scores on just 27 attempts, and he chipped in two rushing touchdowns, so... I don't know if you guys have ever heard this. I don't want to spoil, you know, to give away too good of a stat, but Ryan Tannehill used to play wide receiver. I know, I know. 
Shocked me too. But anyway, a 75-yard touchdown to Corey Davis on a well-thrown deep ball. I mean, again, Tannehill was just really making all sorts of plays. The only bad thing he did was he took a safety, and I think that kind of reflects the only hole in his game at this point. We see him hold on to the ball for too long at times, but I think this Titans offense does such a good job utilizing play action, getting him you know outside the pocket on bootlegs and things like that. I mean, imagine Tannehill. I understand he's not the fastest quarterback in the league, but he's a very good athlete. I mean, again, a wide receiver, guys. Um, but when you, when you send Derrick Henry going one way and you immediately bootleg Tannehill the other way, I can see how that'd be a freaking problem for defensive ends and how they wouldn't be so willing to hang back for Tannehill when you're trying to slow down Derrick freaking Henry, who was as beastly as ever in this one, 24 carries, 147 yards, and a score with a pretty commanding 62% snap rate. So look, this offense is humming. Corey Davis had a big day, four catches, 110 yards, and a score. AJB wide receiver one season continues again, five catches, 44 yards, and a short uh, two-yard score at the end of the game when they tried to guard him with a linebacker on the goal line can't do that but look I mean this offense you know, I wrote an article a few weeks ago about just AJ Brown Corey Davis and uh, what the difference is between last year and this year Tannehill AJ Brown and Derrick Henry have been legit QB1 RB1 and wide receiver ones over the past two seasons and now the offense is at least condensed enough and they're high scoring enough to also add Corey Davis to that mix as a legit upside wide receiver too on a weekly basis so also Johnny Smith he's probably going to be a tight end one when the season's over I know he had a lot of those touchdowns earlier in the year but did manage to catch a five pass for 52 yards in this one so titans offense you know do not mess with these guys it's going to be uh you know I, I think the afc isn't quite as wide open as the nfc or anything we all know the chiefs are the you know large 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 favorite but between tennessee buffalo and, you know pittsburgh and some of these other teams that could potentially make some noise and give the chiefs some problems i think there's some discussions to be had about who has the best chance and the titans i mean you know their defense didn't play great today but when this offense is humming they are very very hard to be stopped with the Titans, I mean, excuse me, with the Lions. Yeah, I mean, Matthew Stafford, credit to him for gutting it out. They just couldn't really get enough going in this one. It wasn't his fault. I mean, DeAndre Swift fumbled right at the goal line trying to reach that ball out. Could have had a three-touchdown day if he didn't lose uh, that fumble, so that was disappointing to see. Also, uh, TJ Hawkinson had a fumble all the way down at the Titans' 20-yard line after they had managed to drive fairly deep into the field. So, again, you know, solid enough game for Matthew Stafford. He had a beautiful throw down the sideline to Quintez Cephas. I mean, truly, the harm talent on Stafford is just wild to see. Uh, Usually every single week he makes at least one or two throws that make you scratch your head and just wonder how he even got it there. So didn't get the win, but you know, you give up 46 points. It was going to take an A plus effort from everybody involved to try to get that going. So uh, DeAndre Swift mentioned he had the two touchdowns and went ahead and really dominated snaps again, 65% snaps. And this was the second straight week that we did see, uh, you know, the Lions trail a lot. And because of that, we don't necessarily know if Swift would be the lead back if they're in a positive game script. But you know what? The Buccaneers are next week. I think we can all probably agree that they're not going to be you know ahead ahead for too long in that game you know hey weird things have happened the Jets just beat the Rams for crying out loud but either way DeAndre Swift is right back in that uh, borderline RB1 conversation he's looked you know as healthy as ever over the past two weeks following that concussion and then the illness following it he catches passes he's their goal line rusher like they have no problem using him over Adrian Peterson in short yard situations He's not there. All right. He's not there every time goal line rusher. But as we explained on this podcast, really no teams have. The key is they have no reservations about DeAndre Swift on the goal line, which means they're not going to go out of their way to take him off the field when they get in scoring position. And guess what? He's their primary running back, so he should continue to get those opportunities. So DeAndre Swift, borderline RB1 next week against the Buccaneers, even though that's not the most ideal matchup looking at their run defense. Last note, Marvin Jones. Again, people, borderline wide receiver too. As we've been telling you, with Kenny Galladay out, caught 10 to 12 targets for 112 yards and a touchdown. 
uh, just, just a great game from Marvin. You know, had a bunch of catches that, you know, usually featured him extending and diving uh, for the ball. He's been one of the best contested catch receivers in the league over the past few years. Not the same explosive athlete. You know, I think that we're going to see, you know, the kind of the end comes uh, sooner rather than later. But, you know, you look at the season he's put together and it's really not been that bad, particularly without having someone like Kenny Galladay to help pull away the defense's attention. Uh, no injuries, I believe, in this one. But, yeah, you know, buried the lead a little bit. But let's face it, everything about the Titans these days is about Derrick Henry and that chase for 2,000 yards. So he is at 1,679 rushing yards uh, to this point. So he needs 321 more, 160.5 per game in our PFF Lloyd matchup stat. The only RBs in NFL history with 2,000 rushing yards in the season. 1973, OJ Simpson. 1984, Eric Dickerson. 1997, Barry Sanders. 1998, Terrell Davis. 2003, Jamal Lewis. 2009, Chris Johnson. CJ2K, of course. And most recently, 2012, Adrian Peterson. So this has been quite the gap. And we haven't had a, uh, let's see, a gap this long since... Would have been 1984 Eric Dickerson, 1997 Barry Sanders. So, you know, with the NFL going not only more pass heavy, but just more RB committee heavy, it's worth wondering if Derrick Henry can pull this off, uh, you know, this year. I wouldn't say no one will ever do it again. You don't ever want to say that. And the game could evolve and stuff. But, you know, we could see a pretty long gap here, I think, coming up if we don't see Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, one of these, you know, Saquon Barkley, one of these last running backs who just gets these true featured roles. Because, again, they're few and far between these days. And I I think as a, you know more and more of the old school coaches leave, we're just going to see committees continue to run rampant in today's NFL, which makes sense. But in fantasy football, you got to love those workhorse RBs. Next matchup, we got the Colts defeating the Texans 27 to 20. These teams cannot play each other without making it a great one, at least in the year 2020. I mean, this was another game that Deshaun Watson did everything he pretty much needed to to win or at least get to overtime. And if you remember, they were going down to score the potential go ahead touchdown against the Colts in week 13. Bad snap to Deshaun Watson inside the five yard line resulted in the Colts getting the recovery. So, in this one, Watson got back to his, you know, just high end production waste 373 passing yards, two touchdowns, also chipped in 25 rushing yards, but. At the end of the game, zips one over the middle. Kiki Kuti makes a catch. He gets down. He's fighting for extra yards. I don't know if he would have scored. He was getting pretty close. Either way, he fumbled the ball into the end zone. Colts recovered. Game over. So very disappointing to see that and him lose that fumble. I mean, look, Deshaun lost a fumble, but no picks. He did take five sacks. But, you know, with Deshaun, with Russ, uh, you know, even we're seeing with Jalen Hurts a little bit. Like, these guys are going to take sacks because they can create so well. With Mahomes, they can create so well at times. Like, why wouldn't they? They try to make something happen. And yeah, it's annoying when they take these sacks sometimes, particularly when they're running around really far in the backfield and they can really uh, quickly kill a drive. But you know what? Like a type of player that is taking those chances, those are the guys that can usually get you out of those third and 18 holes and those, you know, plays when you're really far against the sticks anyway. So, hey, you know, it's, it's a smarter in the long run to probably just get rid of the ball, you know, live to play another day. Yeah, but you also kind of have a wider range of outcomes, both in the positive and negative direction when you have these guys like Watson more willing to extend the plays. So, again, Again, you know, maybe not the, his best game of the year, but certainly another performance that proved that he is a top five real life and fantasy quarterback. You know, disappointing four and ten record on the year, but believe me, he has been better than ever. Uh, interesting enough, I mentioned the Kiki Cootie touchdown. Uh, Chad Hansen had a touchdown on just like a broken coverage on a deeper cross. Brandon Cooks was back in action. He had six catches, fifty nine yards. But the Texans' leading receiver with Duke Johnson sidelined, Mister David Johnson caught all eleven of his targets for one hundred six yards. Fairly fluky, guys. Deshaun Watson does not usually throw to his running backs. I mean, these were not the 
design touches. They were him running around until David Johnson flashed open and he was able to throw him the ball downfield. So not saying David Johnson needs to be, you know, jumped up into the top 10 of our running back ranks for week uh, 16, but they are playing the Bengals. Duke's not out there. And we saw that without Duke, David did play a dominant 79% snap rate. So David, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the top 16 running backs against the Bengals next week, particularly without Duke there to really take away any of these targets. Um, yeah, jo- all right, moving on to the Colts now. Yeah, so again, Texans lost, but much better 4-10 and 10 team, particularly at the quarterback position than you would expect. Uh, with the Colts, Phillip Rivers, only six incompletions on 28 attempts, 228 passing yards and two touchdowns. Like, I, I just haven't been putting Phillip Rivers as a start really at all this year because these are the types of games we see. Very efficient, but there just isn't that much of a ceiling for Fantasyland because he has like negative rushing upside. He literally had negative one rushing yard this game, and we don't even get the you know, luck out on QB sneak touchdowns because Jacoby Brissett comes in and does that for them, and Jacoby even threw a pass in this one so that was a while to see but you know just kind of the story that we've you know been driving home on this podcast all year the Colts this wide receiver room is so spread out and we saw that again in this one you know Zach Pascal had six targets T.Y. Hilton had six targets and it was Pascal that ended up scoring twice so you know T.Y. has been the guy you know in recent weeks and he did have a huge 41 yard catch at the end of this game down the seam pretty ball by Rivers to put them in position to even win the game so T.Y. still played great but just in terms of fantasy between Pittman Hilton Pascal I mean and all the running backs and tight ends just not enough pass volume to go around for all these guys with philip river spreading it out so hey you know they're 10 and 4 he's engineered a great offense all season both passing and running it just hasn't been all that conducive to fantasy success with how spread out it's consistently been the backfield was you know actually dominated more by jonathan taylor than we've seen i'm just looking at these snaps jordan wilkins out of the picture and we saw jonathan taylor have 70 percent snaps and naeem hines down there at 30 percent. so taylor had 16 carries hines had five you know not too many targets for taylor only uh four of them, but was able to catch all four. Naeem Hines uh, caught two of his three. So look, Jonathan Taylor kept on playing great. I mean, this was one where, again, just more and more of these past few weeks, he's breaking tackles. He looks like a hoss to get down, man. I mean, I know we were starting to wonder, like, could Jonathan Taylor be that next uh, Wisconsin uh, RB? That just doesn't quite work out for whatever reason. But really, over these past three, four weeks, I know the defenses haven't been great, but just the physicalness which with uh, which with which he's running, however the hell you say that phrase, but he's been playing great football over the past few weeks. And look, as long as he can stay behind this beast offensive line and not have the Jordan Wilkins guy taken away early down work. Jonathan Taylor's going to be flirting with, you know, borderline RB1 production all the way through the 2021 season, if not higher. I mean, look, Naeem Hines probably isn't going anywhere and he is the better receiving back. I don't see Jonathan Taylor completely taken over, but he's a competent enough receiver to get some targets, particularly with, you know, a target just feeder to running back position like Phillip Rivers under center. And again, if we don't have to worry about someone like Jordan Wilkins taking away the, uh, you know, the garbage time work, and just some of the goal line work. We're truly going to be talking about anyone's idea of an RB1 in 2021 and beyond in Jonathan Taylor. Uh, only injury I really saw was Marcus Johnson, one of the Colts' backup wide receivers with a quad, but you know, losing him doesn't really open up enough to feel good about any other guy in particular. Uh, Peter Fulley matchup stats, so... Last week, Jonathan Taylor broke a season-high nine tackles on the ground. This week, he averaged a season-high 3.6 yards after contact per carry. So again, this is what we expected. But how about his receiving ability? 36 targets, 35 receptions on the year. I have looked at the one incompletion. It was not a drop. It was pretty much Phillip Rivers getting hit as he threw and looking Taylor's uh, direction. So 35 for 36. He's not Naeem Hines, but this man is a very capable receiver. And considering that was one of the biggest worries about him coming out, 
Very good to see. Only one fumble on the year. Ball security is drop security. Jonathan Taylor has that in spades. Uh, next matchup, we had the Dolphins defeat the Patriots 22-12. to This was uh, not a good game to watch at all. Not to take anything away from the Dolphins. They were without Devontae Parker, Jakeem Grant, and Mike Jasicki. I mean, the fact that Tua was just able to lead them to a win was enough. I mean, I don't even want to take away too much from his passing numbers. Only 145 yards, 26 attempts. He had a bad interception that was in the end zone, kind of late getting the ball out there. But, you know, that was really just it was a rare uh, thing to see from him he's been very good about taking care of the ball all season long only took two sacks and was able to find the end zone twice as a rusher so he did account for two touchdowns no fumbles without each of his top three receivers hard to fault the guy so hopefully he gets some of those guys back again you know this was another low volume game even though he had the two rushing touchdowns he's a mobile guy but that's not not something that's always you know a super prevalent part of his game next week against the Raiders though you know Tua he's gonna beat it in this upside QB2 conversation I'm guessing if you made you know the fantasy football championship you're not in a situation where you need to try to stream Tua, but super flex 2qb he could be uh you know certainly in play against the raiders we've seen upside from him over these past two weeks particularly in that chiefs game when they got behind so i'd be you know nervous about going to the well if they don't have any of these wide receivers back they did run the ball 42 times compared to just 26 pass attempts after all but Tua, he's really shown a lot over these past few weeks and i'm excited to see what he can do in 2021 with a better offensive line hopefully with a few more high-end talent options in addition to, you know, Devontae and Mike Jasicki. Congrats to Salvin Ahmed. Went the hell off. I thought, you know, in his first game back from the shoulder injury, they would kind of ease him back into action. Was not the case. 61% snaps, 23 carries, 122 yards, and a short touchdown. Also had a, a two-point conversion. I believe it was him. They ran this sweet play, threw a screen out wide, and the running back came looping out, like almost like a wheel ro- route motion out of the backfield. Wide receiver caught it, pitched it back to the running back, helped seal him off, and he scored. So it wasn't the first time I've seen it, but it was fun to see, uh, you know, Brian Flores really dig into his bag of tricks to try to get it dub over his former employer and get the dub he did so look the big thing was backfield if miles gaskin remains out he's on the uh, covid list right now if he is off, if he is off the covid list by next week it's probably going to be him as the rb1 or it's going to be a split committee so if that's the situation then no Ahmed is not going to be a viable fantasy back but hey if gaskin remains sideline yeah Ahmed's going to be a potential upside rb2 uh, for an offense that we see you know not dominating but they're leaning on the run and again this matchup against the raiders like that's one of those defenses for particularly with all the guys they have out right now that we truly want to be targeting. So Salvat Ahmed, keep an eye on this guy. If Miles Gaskin remains sidelined, he's going to be a recommended start in the fantasy football championship. And the fact that something named Salvin Ahmed is going to be a recommended start in the fantasy football championship just tells you all you need to know about 2020. Not to take away anything uh, from Salvin. He ran hard in this game. You know, he, he didn't impress me too much in his first few games, but, you know, what, what the hell do I know anyway? So Salvin, he, uh, you know, he, it was good to see him go up in this game, really take the drop from Matt Breeder, who played well himself, 12 carries, 86 yards, but he's not going to have enough of, of volume next week. So just realize Gaskin, if he's back, he'll be the recommended play. If not, it's Ahmed. Uh, uh, with the uh, Patriots, Cam Newton, yeah, another rough one. They, you know, they were moving the ball through the air for stretches, 209 yards. Uh, Jacoby Myers had seven catches, 111 yards. He did lose a fumble, but he made up for it uh, with some nice catches uh, later in the game. It was just another game where, like, okay, was Cam making all the throws we wish he'd make? No. Was he exactly missing a bunch of just wide-open receivers? No. Was he getting much time to throw? Also, no. I mean, the only real consistency in this Patriots offense has been the presence of a solid run game, and that was here in this one. Sonny Michelle had 10 carries. 
carries for 74 yards and only a long run of 17. It wasn't like, you know, he just got lucky with one big one. I was surprised to only see them, you know, run the ball 22 times. But then again, only pass the ball 27 times. Dolphins were able to control the clock, I believe, almost 38, uh, you know, minutes of time possession. So just not a game that was all that conducive to fancy football success with the Patriots. With the Patriots. So not anyone you really need to start for the Patriots. They are now officially eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, I believe with the last two weeks, nothing to play for us. The first time that's happened in 20 years. Uh, madness. So they got the Bills next. You know, Cam, hey, he's always a threat to find the end zone once or twice. But this backfield remains a committee, even with uh, Damian Harris out of the picture. I mean, we saw... James White played 50% snaps here. Sony Michelle, 44%. So, even, like, this is our dream situation for Sony Michelle. But the problem is, he's an early down grinder, which is already not helping for, you know, four point per reception formats. And then Cam Newton's the most likely guy to score if they get inside the five, 10 yard line. So, Sony, James White, Cam, Jacoby, I think the answer is just going to be a no for me for week 16. Uh, injuries, injuries to monitor. Stefan Gilmore suffered a knee injury. I believe I saw a report saying it's not believed too serious, but keep an eye on it. I, mean, I know Stefan Diggs has his foot issue potentially as well so maybe both of them are out but no Stefan Gilmore that's objectively good news for anybody out there I'm not saying Stefan Diggs can't win that matchup hell Smokey Brown twisted up uh, Stefan Gilmore on a route last year but you know with these top uh, cornerback ones and in, in, in my opinion you know when they're shadowing someone you don't fade that matchup but you certainly downgrade your expectations particularly the ceiling that would be what we would do with Diggs but hey Gilmore's out fire away baby uh, PF affiliate matchup stat Dolphins allowed 24 plus points in 12 games last season. This year, they will have 24 plus points on just four occasions. So even if you know they bottom out the next two weeks, they allow 24 plus in each game, that's still going to be just half amount as last season. Truly, Brian Flores with this defense has been absolutely phenomenal. And looking at those four times, they allowed at least 24 points. I mean, they were to the Chiefs, the Bills, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals. Very understandable. Great defensive effort from the Dolphins all season. Tua and company are coming to their own as well. You know, 2022, they're going to be a, uh, you know, how do you, they, they're nine and five, like they're going to the playoffs this year. I get it, but could be as early as 2022, 2023, before we're talking about them as a true dark horse Super Bowl contender. Ways to go. We've only seen, you know, a handful of stars from Tua, but if he can keep improving, they can surround him with better talent. Again, the defense is looking like they could potentially be a juggernaut sooner rather than later if they keep improving in the same manner they have over the past two years. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding, so head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odd, odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, you bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. 
Next matchup, we had the Bears defeat the Vikings 33 to 27. Shout out to Bears, man. Ever since Trubisky's come back after the bye week, I know they're two and two, but they've been averaging over 30 points per game on offense. And hey, it's just been a step up in watching their games compared to what we saw before. And you know what? For me, like that's I just want entertaining games. That's why I love Drew Locke, Josh Allen, those guys. So it's good to see the Bears at least putting up points. And Mitch Trubisky, hey, 15 for 21, 202 yards, touchdown, one brutal interception, which was at the end of the game, and it gave the Vikings a chance to freaking go down and potentially tied only down three so you know it was in the end zone it reminded me of the Detroit Lions game where he had the awful fumble back inside his five-yard line like this is a problem Mitch Trubisky has the highest turnover rate turnover uh worthy play rate in the league but you know you see the flashes where everything looks fine I mean it's not not like 2018 was that long ago I understand his 2018 wasn't you know playing at an MVP level like we saw with Carson Wentz in 2017 or anything like that but still Trubisky has shown you know high upside flashes uh throughout his you know short career and even though they've been a little more few and far between in 2019 2020 he has been playing some good ball over the past few weeks so if he can just find a way to limit that back-breaking turnover the one or two of those he has every single game I think we would see you know a much just better uh just overall offensive effort because that just tends to kind of kill the momentum for them because look he's got you know the scrambling ability he's got the arm we've seen him you know I I remember the old memes where he can't throw I think it's like Trubisky throwing to his right is fantastic but to his left you know he turns into like the small Spongebob uh whatever whatever meme you want to use but I understand that Trubisky you know has his flaws but again I just don't think he's got enough credit for playing well for stretches during a short career you should have a playoff win if his kicker could freaking not doink the thing off two crossbars so Trubisky not playing amazing but playing much better than you know like the league worst starting quarterback we thought he was as recently as a month ago he's at least improved from that so credit to you Mitch the real star of the Chicago Bears though was Dave Montgomery dominant 88% snap rate 32 carries 146 yards and a pair of touchdowns also chipped in one catch for 16 yards so just balling out all, all over the place I mean I am getting upset at this point about the lack of respect for David Montgomery in the fantasy industry because the season starts, we get through, you know, a good month, month and a half, and we see him popping up on the top of all these force missed tackles, uh, you know, metrics that PFF just has, and they're fantastic, and they help show you what ball carriers are winning in one-on-one moments. And, you know, the verdict coming back from everyone is, hey, that's great. He's too slow to make big plays out of it. Well, they play the Packers. He gets a 50-plus yard run. They play the Texans. He goes 80 yards in the score. And the verdict is, hey, you know, that's fine. But he's still someone that, uh, you know, isn't going to have this next year. And he's going to be someone we're going to fade uh, going 2021. I don't even necessarily disagree with that. But look, he is now putting together a top 10 fantasy season at the running back position. Like, that's that's what we want. That is what any running back should want. That's what any fantasy football manager should want from their running back. David Montgomery has given it to us. And I think it's just people not really being super willing to kind of go back on what our opinion was in this guy after the first 10 games of his career. The Bears offensive line has not been good all season long. They were a bottom five unit in yards before contact allowed per carry going into last week. So Montgomery, he hasn't exactly been in a great situation. Would you say having Trubisky and Foles and Chase Daniel under center the last two years? Are those the type of quarterbacks that we'd expect to, you know, really set up, uh, you know, young running back for success. I don't think so. So Montgomery, you know, he's got a lot of haters out there. I understand Tariq Cohen's going to come back next year and that's going to really, uh, you know, hurt Montgomery's target share. And we're not even probably see him flirt with, you know, 30 carries or something like that. But hey, if the surrounding cast improves, maybe we'll see, you know, the yards per carry and the scoring upside improve further because he's doing the right things in terms of just, you know, controlling the controllables, which for him is making guys miss once he gets the ball. So hopefully the rest of the Bears offense can catch up to David Montgomery because I think 
like you look at the past two years and Allen Robinson is the only guy you can really say on the offense, at least in the skill positions, that's been playing better ball than David Montgomery and give the man some credit for doing so. With the Vikings, Kirk Cousins had, you know, a Hail Mary at the end of the game to try to win it, but uh, it was intercepted. So, he, it was, again, it was another good game by Kirk overall. Uh, so don't let that interception really sway your thoughts on the performance. Ended up throwing two touchdowns, fumbled once, but didn't lose it. Uh, Justin Jefferson, eight catches, 104 yards. Adam Thielen, only two catches for 11 yards, but he scored. And yeah, give Adam Thielen a break, too. I'm seeing, like, people just coming at him, uh, like, almost like empty touchdown numbers. Like, people, points win football games, and Adam Thielen has 13 touchdowns this year like every time we have one of these wide receiver rooms with two great wide receivers whether it's the titans with aj brown and Corey davis the rams robert Woods and cooper cup even the seahawks you know not too long ago with metcalf and lockett i think we know who's kind of won that argument since but now we're seeing with justin jefferson and adam thielen where i don't even disagree that we should be ranking jefferson higher than thielen at this point but it's not like they're going to be more than you know a three to four spot disparity between the guys both these guys are at worst upside wide receiver twos in fantasy and they have been all season long so So, you know, credit to Jefferson for being this damn good as a rookie. But I think because he's been so good, because Stefan Diggs has gone to Buffalo and balled the hell out, we also haven't given enough credit to Adam Thielen for showing that he himself can be, you know, a legit wide receiver one in Minnesota. And hey, you know, having guys like Diggs and Jefferson around you help. But you know what? Jefferson and Diggs should be happy they have, they've had someone like Thielen around them as well. He makes any offense he's in better, you know, with his combination of just route running ability and sure hands. Adam Thielen, great football player, great real life, and great great fantasy. Nobody's saying Adam Thielen needs to be in the conversation for the league's top five wide receivers, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find 15 you'd rather have on your real life or fantasy squad. Dalvin Cook, 24 carries, 132 yards and a touchdown. Just the usual from him. Also chipped in five catches. Look, I mean, he's in a situation next week. I believe they have the Saints. Saints on Christmas. That'll be a, a hell of a game. But, you know, hey, I know the Saints have been good against running backs for the most part. It's not as much today. But, look, it's Dalvin Cook. It's going to be very hard to get him out of that top overall spot. Maybe with Drew Brees back, you know, we'll be going back to Alvin Kamara. But either way, Dalvin Cook, top three fantasy football running back in Week 16. Uh, heavy heart, everybody. Cordero Patterson suffered a knee injury. I'm not sure how severe. I will let you know. I am president of the Cordero Patterson fan club, after all. It's one of my many duties, but it sucks. You know, hasn't, uh, you know, he got knocked off his uh, mantle as the league's all time uh, leader in yards per carry, minimum 100 attempts. That's gone away. He's still the best kick returner, not punt returner, kick returner in NFL history, but I hope this will not be a uh, end of the season for Cadero Patterson. We'll see. I've, I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed his action this year. I've already probably spent too much time talking about him right now, but please get better, uh, CP. Many of us uh, out there appreciate your contributions to the great game of football. Cordero Patterson is the only reason I can even consider uh, changing my view on kickers. That's how much I love that man. PFF Floyd matchup stat. RBs with at least five games with 20 plus PPR points this year. Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, James Robinson, and David Montgomery. Not just, we can't just say, hey, you know, Montgomery had that good end of the season stretch and that's why he was a RB1. Shouldn't that be better than like going off earlier in the year? You could say, oh, you wouldn't have made the playoffs with him, but it wasn't like he was that bad any bad anyway. And I think you know a lot of times again we just want to shape the narrative to what we kind of are like preconceived notions. Montgomery has been a fantasy football RB one in 2020. Give him the respect he deserves for accomplishing that. Uh, next matchup. 
Seattle Seahawks beat the Washington football team 20 to 15. So this is one of those games where, again, if you, this reminds me of the Patriots-Dolphins game. Do not feel like you need to go back and watch this one if you did not get a chance to. Russell Wilson, just 121 passing yards. I mean, he's now been under 250 passing yards in three of his last five games after clearing that with ease in each of his first 10 weeks of action. So, hey, we saw the rushing floor, and we talked about that on, on this podcast. 52 rushing yards for Russ is great, but, man, next week against the Rams, he's certainly not going to be in the top five quarterbacks. And if you're, you know, blessed enough to have two potential top 10 signal callers on the fantasy squad, I would probably advise going with the other guy. Uh, with this backfield, Chris Carson continued to be the workhorse, 74% snaps. Carlos Hyde just 15%. Rashad Penny, 9%. But Carlos Hyde ripped off a 50-yard touchdown. Like, Carlos Hyde, the only guy that, that can vulture your starting running back from the 50-yard line. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Carson, 15 carries, 63 yards. He also had uh, two catches for six yards. But Hyde got the touchdown. The only other touchdown went to Jacob Hollister. Wasn't the usual high scoring Seahawks environment because of that Carson could not cash in I would expect Rashad Payne to be more involved next week, but look, it's still Carson's backfield. I think, uh, you know, it's not an easy matchup by any stretch against the Rams, but you know, we did see him catch a touchdown again against them last time. He's got that receiving ability. DJ Dallas was taken off uh, and, and it was carted off, excuse me, with an ankle injury. So with that in mind, Chris Carson, still anyone's idea of an upside RB2 in week 16. Uh, Metcalf, only five catches, 43 yards. Tyler Lockett, four catches, 34 yards. Like, I just worry that the Seahawks are starting to go back to this run first approach and thinking that because they've got a few wins kind of with that strategy, that's what they need to do. We saw this against the Packers literally last season. They get into these games where Russ starts being efficient, and then he finishes with freaking 30 pass attempts, and we wonder why he didn't throw more. Like, how is DK Metcalf? How is DK freaking Metcalf only getting six targets per game? I know he had a few more where penalties, you know, were wiping out a nice catch or two, and he did have the hamstring uh, mini-issued, uh, though he didn't miss many snaps with it. But, like, come on. He should be getting six targets per game, 20 yards downfield, let alone the raw total. You would just think that could help open up the rest of this group because we talked about it after the Jets game last week. I mean, they did not have a pass game, pass gain over 21 yards against the Jets last week. This week, the long was just 15. We have not seen the Seahawks offense have the explosive plays. Guess what will help open up your run game? Explosive pass plays down the field. They have been lacking that. And because of that, we've seen just a limited ceiling for this offense for the better part of the last month and a half. With the Washington football team, Dwayne Haskins, just pretty awful. You know, 295 yards on 55 attempts. One touchdown to uh, J.D. McKissick. That was easy enough. And also a pair of interceptions. Took four sacks along the way. So, you know, Haskins, I, I wouldn't call myself a Haskins defender. I am biased because I'm an Ohio State guy. And, you know, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. So I want to see him do good. My biggest issue with the Haskins experience in Washington has been how the front office has handled it. You know, first round QB on a rookie contract is one of the probably the most valuable asset uh, you can have in the NFL. And just for them to bench him after that Ravens game when, you know, he throws for over 300 yards and they leak out that, hey, you know, he was bragging about his stats afterwards. That's why, that's why we decided to go to Alex Smith. It's like, tell yourself whatever you want, but now, like, you've just created a diva out of, I don't want to say thin air, but, you know, awful lot of stories you hear come out of the Washington football team locker room compared to other organizations around the league. So, Haskins, you know, hard to say that he's been anything other than an awful quarterback over the past two seasons. I get that but Washington football team has certainly not done themselves any favors with how they've handled the situation from that whole debacle from deciding to keep them on the team this year anyway even though clearly they you know would have rather started with Kyle Allen I mean 
just one of those situations like, all right, Haskins, he's not better than Alex Smith this year. Congrats, Washington. You were right. Well, you still drafted the guy in the first round last year. And like, what are you getting out of that uh, investment? So just, uh, you know, not not the uh, not the only puzzling move we've seen this organization make over the years, but one of the more uh, glaring ones in recent memory. Uh, Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas balled out in this one, though. Seven catches, 77 yards for Terry on 12 targets. Logan Thomas, 13 catches for 101 yards on 15 targets. So not always going to see those target totals, but it is a condensed enough offense behind around them to feel good enough about continuing to treat Logan and Terry excuse me as a top 12 top 15 options at their respective positions JG McKissick though you know he's someone that we've been calling a low-end RB2 with Antonio Gibson out might even have to bump him up in that mid-tier 87% snaps for McKissick Peyton Barber only 15% we saw JD 13 carries 51 yards also nine catches 56 yards and a score I mean even without Alex Smith we were seeing him still eat in the passing game they love using him in the slot just on design screens and look Ron Rivera himself has compared McKissick, you know, just, I, I hate it, but he compared him to Christian McCaffrey. He said he has a Christian McCaffrey as skill set. I think Ron Rivera calls any running back that can feasibly work on three downs Christian McCaffrey. That's a story for another day. But look, Washington, I don't know why they love J.D. McKissick so much. They do. Fantasy football managers, as long as Antonio Gibson isn't on the table, we should love J.D. McKissick as well. He's going to be a top 20 uh, option at the position in week 16, as long as Antonio Gibson remains sidelined mentioned the DJ Dallas injury. So PFF Lily matchup stat. So Russell Wilson somehow did not take a sack in this one, but just 4.5 yards per attempt. And we saw, you know, the pressure getting to him for stretches. He got the interception he threw, uh, was tipped when he was trying to get over the pass rusher. And I would just like to point out that the Seattle Seahawks since 2015 have done almost nothing to surround him with any sort of high level talent on the offensive line. I understand, you know, they made trade, they made the trade with the Texans a couple of years ago, to get their left tackle and they've started to maybe address suspicion a little bit more in the draft, but you look at cap spending on the offensive line. In 2015, the Seahawks ranked 26th. In 2016, they ranked 31st. In 2017, they ranked 16th. In 2018, they ranked 21st. In 2019, they ranked 22nd. In 2020, they ranked 16th. I mean, for a team that just is always kind of adding these different pieces at running back, wide receiver, tight end, you know, adding Olsen, like just all these kind of random guys, it seems like they're kind of throwing out the table, you know, Josh Gordon flirting with AB and all that. Like, can we please just pay attention to the offense? Offensive line for once, so Russ, so you can you know help your franchise quarterback out. It's a freaking miracle this dude has never missed a game. You know, despite kind of having his style of play of holding on to the ball, while it'd be great if they could build around him just a little bit more and maybe not rely on Russ to bail out the offensive line like he's been doing for the better part of the last decade. Next game, we had the Ravens defeat the Jaguars 40-14. to Just a beat down this one. We'll try and move pretty quick through it. But Lamar Jackson helping out those uh, faithful fantasy football managers. Hopefully, you were able to get in the playoffs with them in the first place. But 243 yards through the air, three touchdowns. He had a bad pick early on trying to force it deep to Hollywood Brown, double coverage. But only five incompletions on the day. And he had some pretty deep balls out there. Marquise Brown, 44 yards down the sideline. Also, Mark Andrews for a couple uh, big ones. He got Gus Edwards for a 34-yard catch after extending the play. Lamar Jackson. Jackson's putting together some good throws out there. And look, he's never going to be someone that just sits in the pocket and makes the same sort of throws that, you know, we, we've seen from Breeze and Rivers and Brady and those type of guys. But because he's not those guys, because he's someone that, oh, he ran for 35 yards and a touchdown just a week after dismantling the Browns on the ground, because he has that, you know, asset to his game, defenses defend him different. And because of that, when things do break down, he can, uh, you know, find his way to just bigger, more wide open pass completions like we saw with Gus Edwards, like we saw on that game-winning touchdown last week 
the Hollywood Browns. So you can call them fluky. I realize they're not as aesthetically pleasing as some of the leagues more, you know, just drop back, uh, you know, normal quarterbacks. But they all count the same in fantasy land. And they all count, you know, a touchdown counts the same however you score in the NFL as well. So Lamar Jackson. Not the overall, you know, QB1 we were expecting to be this year, but anyone's idea of a top, you know, five quarterback again at this point. I mean, he is balling lately, everybody. And the big difference for him, and as we I'm looking at right now, they got the Giants next week. I do think it's going to be hard to keep him out of the top five. I did a little study on Lamar Jackson right, right during their week seven bye just to see, uh, you know, what was going wrong with them, at least in the first couple months of the year. And the big difference was he wasn't running the ball as much as he had previously. But you look since, the, since that week seven bye. He's had 16, or excuse me, he has had, uh, yeah, 16 rush attempts, 13, 11, 13, 13, 9, and most recently 10. So before that bye, I mean, he only hit double digits once in the Ravens' first six games. So, you know, we saw offseason reports about them wanting to throw the ball more, you know, wanting to rely on Lamar Jackson's legs less. That's great. They tried that. Really didn't go that well. Now they're back to embracing the best part about Lamar Jackson's game. So I'm not saying this offense is fixed. That, you know, is something that teams have been able to somewhat solve, uh, at least in the 20. 20 season but you know when they faced now the Cowboys the Browns and the Jaguars at a minimum in those matchups we have seen Lamar Jackson get back to looking like the star that we saw for almost the entirety of the 2019 season with this uh, backfield, J.K. Dobbins, RB1 season, everybody, 53% snaps. Not quite as high as we would have liked to see it. Gus Edwards was still there for 42%, but no Mark Ingram. Justice Hill was there for 9%. And yeah, Dobbins, 14 carries, 64 yards in his score. Gus had nine carries, 42 yards. I mean, Dobbins is the preferred receiver, even though Gus ended up having two targets to Dobbins, one in this one. But look, Lamar just usually takes off or throws downfield. He doesn't really get the running backs involved in the passing game. But hey, you know, not every defense is going to be the Jaguars. I get that. But, you know, we saw the Giants not exactly shut down Nick Chubb and, co and company this past uh, Sunday night. So J.K. Dobbins, not a screaming RB1. He doesn't have the same sort of roles, you know, a Jonathan Taylor or even a Cam Akers, mostly because of Lamar Jackson's presence and him taking away a lot of rush attempts on his own and not giving him a bunch of targets. But at a minimum, we have a great young running back in J.K. Dobbins. He has earned weekly upside RB2 treatment. With the Jaguars, Minshew, you know, not the worst stat line. He kind of has a way of putting up a decent stat line, even in a blowout loss. But five sacks, I believe they were 0 for 2 at least on uh, fourth down conversions. He also lost a fumble. No receiver had more than 53 yards. Uh, Colin Johnson suffered a hamstring injury uh, at one point. But the big news, James Robinson kept James RB one son season going with uh, 16 carries, 35 yards. But more importantly, three catches, 18 yards, and a score on a pretty wheel route uh, down the sideline. So he's been doing all all season might be at the from pff injury expert mario Pilato. robinson left the game due to an ankle injury that is believed to be a high ankle sprain if he is if he does have a sprained uh, you know high ankle that's going to be a likely inactive for robinson in the fantasy football championships so you know don't be cursing Robinson's name. He has been fantastic this year, you know, completely over, over, you know, overcoming expectations for an undrafted rookie free agent. You know, I really hope the Jaguars give him every chance to be the man again in 2021. It's going to be one of the more interesting uh, situations to watch in fantasy football in terms of what they do in the draft, what they do in free agency. But whatever happens, 2020 James RB1, son, 
Love to see it, and we love to see it the whole way. Guys, I almost forgot to mention, Des Bryant caught it. He caught a touchdown. I am so happy. I'm wearing my, uh, you know, Christmas Merry Xmas, throw up the X sweater right now. I've had it on all day. I was ecstatic when it happened. Look, three targets, one catch for 11 yards. Didn't have that much separation, which is kind of able to get free on a scramble drill. Is he a fancy asset? Absolutely not. But Des Bryant back in the end zone, throwing up the X, made me happy. That guy is my single favorite player of the past decade and probably ever. Uh, so PFF Lily stat naturally, I give my guy Des a shout out. Most receiving touchdowns since 2010. Number one, Rob Gronkowski with 84. Number two, Jimmy Graham with 80. Number three, Antonio Brown with 76. And number four, Des Bryant with 74. Nobody else has reached even 70. I said it before, I'll say it again. Point score football games. It's hard to come up with a better pure scorer of the football than Des Bryant over the past decade. Okay, you might have three, but give me give me prime Des in a jump ball over just about anybody other than Megatron over the other than Megatron over the past decade. Uh, quick shout out to our sponsors, all first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least twenty bucks in their account while using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a forty dollar value for just twenty bucks, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that twenty bucks into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the U.S. Saying Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your 20 bucks with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Now, for the main event. Not really, but Jets 23, Rams 20. Congrats, Jets. You got a win. You probably missed out on Trevor Lawrence. The Jacksonville Jaguars have the tiebreaker for having an easier schedule and only having the one win. And, you know, you look at the Jaguars' last two games. They got the Colts in Week 17. I'm, I'm looking up who they have uh, next week right now. Yeah, like I said, Colts in Week 17 and the Bears in uh, Week 16. So, you know, maybe Trubisky just really can't put it together. He is nicknamed Midwest Bortles after all. You know, it'd be kind Kind of fitting, but I just do not see this edition of the Jaguars putting up much of a fight in either of those games and likely landing themselves Trevor Lawrence because of it. So, you know, it was hardly a game that Jets fans are going to remember for years and years and years. Uh, Sam Darnold just had another, you know, ho-hum performance, not too much going on. 270 yards and an easy unguarded touchdown on Ty Johnson. His best throw of the day was to Braxton Berrios rolling out and he hit him in the hands, but Berrios dropped it. Would have been a nice 20-yard touchdown. So, Darnold, again, he makes one or two solid throws a day. That makes you wonder what he could be like in a post-case offense, but I just don't think, uh, you know, as it stands, we can expect much from him in the current iteration of this Jets team. Uh, Frank Gore, 23 carries, 59 yards, and a touchdown. Why not? They love Frank Gore. You know, who doesn't love Frank Gore? I know Adam Gase loves him some Frank Gore. Um, I got Chris Herndon, three catches, 48 yards. Uh, Jameson Crowder, six catches, 66 yards. I think we have talked enough about the Jets uh, with the Rams. Yeah, this collapse pretty much came out of nowhere. I mean, Jared Goff, look, he threw a 16-yard touchdown to Robert Woods on a deep out. I think that was the only time all day that I saw him, you know, actually complete like a tough downfield throw. It was just bad out there, guys. I mean, one interception, three sacks, didn't lose a fumble, but they just couldn't get the ball moving. And I mean, look, on the ground, it wasn't great, but they still averaged six yards per carry. A lot of that was buoyed by Robert Woods, you know, breaking off for a 40-yarder. But come on, it's the Jets. We've seen everyone move the ball on this guy. And other than Higby having a 44-yard catch and run, none 
none of these other players had a long gain of even 16. So that's been the one missing ingredient, I think, in this Los Angeles offense is the lack of a true field stretcher that can put any level of fear in opposing defenses. Josh Reynolds, you know, he's caught deep passes before, but he's not exactly a burner. Van Jefferson has been someone that they just can't really get too involved in the offense. He has, you know, a nice route every couple weeks or something. But neither of those guys, you know, again, put that Brandon Cooks level of fear into the defense. Would not be shocked if we see, you know, this offseason really Sean McVay try to add, you know, some serious speed to at least one of those spots. I do think that's the one spot that they're really missing right now. In the backfield, Cam Akers continued to uh, dominate snaps, 61%. He suffered an ankle injury, missed a little bit of time, but either way, Malcolm Brown only 27%, Daryl Henderson 13%. We saw Akers get 15 of the backfield, 17 carries, only 63 yards, a little bit deceiving. You know, there, there was some, you know, hooligans uh, going out play, nullified 18-yard touchdown run, and then had an electric 25-yard run, also nullified on a holding penalty. I get it. Would the runs have happened without the holding penalty? It's debatable, so, you know, you don't have to necessarily call it an unlucky performance. But just realize, you know, he was still showing some of the elusiveness, some of the big playability that, uh, you know, made us rank him so highly in the first place in this. So nothing has happened with this backfield. Cam Akers, I know, you know, it's this quote unquote dud is going to leave a bad taste in the mouths of, you know, most fantasy football managers. But next week against the Seahawks, he is going to be a recommended start in fantasy football leagues of all shapes and sizes, people. He has the, you know, just that role we want. A Sean McVay, RB1. That's what we saw Todd Gurley and even CJ Anderson just reward us with league-winning performances, you know, seemingly week after week after week. So Cam Akers couldn't give us that in this one, but I would not, you know, bet against him doing, doing the opposite of that in Week 16. Uh, Cooper Cup did not come up big in this one. That that was not a short joke. He's not that short. Uh, five catches, 39 yards on five targets, uh, no scores. Robert Woods had the big game. Six catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown. And mentioned he had that 40-yard rush. So, you know, it's kind of been back and forth, the guys, between uh, for most of the year. Robert Woods is kind of making a late surge and coming out as the true number one in L.A. But, again, I really think they add someone else to the equation. Uh, we'll see what happens. They just need something else to, you know, get this offense uh, going. To, to put up 20 points against the Jets, man, at home, like that's it's disappointing there's no other way around it and to have golf like again not play great by any stretch of the imagination but this wasn't one of his just overwhelming stinkers that we've seen over the years in terms of just turning the ball over a hundred times they just couldn't really move it consistently and to me that's even more troubling so Lack of big plays, lack of a big play specialist. You know, I do not see the Rams really having a good chance of overcoming this in the playoffs. They just, you know, they're going to be facing a lot more explosive offenses. So maybe they can figure it out, but I just feel like you get in the playoffs sometimes and teams start trying to really make you, you know, march down the field in 12, 14 plays. I'm not sure Goff is, you know, able to just do that consistently enough and he's not, you know, creating the sort of big plays that could help overcome his lack of ability in that. So we'll see what happens. You know, the fact the Rams are still nine and five has exceeded my expectations for them this year. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, like this defense can still step up and win them football games. Just are not seeing this offense, you know, really after that, like Tampa Bay win where they were just dominant. I really thought we'd be seeing, you know, the Rams start to peak towards the end of the season, at least on the offense side of the ball does not appear to be the case at this time. Quickly with the injuries, I mentioned Akers got banged up with the ankle. He did return. Uh, also, Gerald Everett apparently had a head injury at one point. So if Gerald Everett's out, Tyler Higby is going to shoot to the top of the rankings. I mean, they were, they've both been playing like near full-time roles in recent weeks. They're just not doing as many three wide receiver formations. But just realize, you take away Higby or Everett, we are firing up that other guy with confidence in fantasy land. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat. So Robert Woods uh, rushing yards. In 2018, he was third among all wide receivers with 157 rushing yards. 
2019, 115 yards. That was third. 2020, 154 rushing yards. First among all wide receivers overall is 426 rushing yards over the past three seasons. Is first among all wide receivers. Curtis Samuel is the only other guy over 400. So truly, Robert Woods, he is such a game changer with this extra, you know, rushing workload. And we've seen it now for three straight years. So that was, you know, the reasoning, if you were following myself in the preseason, for going Woods over Cup, because it was because it was, look, hey, their targets, usually pretty equal, but Woods gets a legit 18 to 25 extra rush attempts per year. And that adds up over of the season today was a good example of us benefiting from that just three more games everybody thank you as always for sticking with me here cardinals defeated the eagles 33 to 26 wow what a game from jalen freaking hurts and so our big takeaway from last week was jalen hurts is a must start in fantasy legit qb1 i mean I, I was so nervous because i told people to not to start hurts over justin herbert over ryan tana who both had great games luckily hurts came through i don't know if he actually outscored those guys they put up some huge points but either way uh, you're not too concerned about going with hurts because he was fantastic here 338 yards three touchdowns through the air another 63 yards and a touchdown on the ground we knew he had that rushing production in him but to see him go through the air like this it wasn't perfect okay six sacks take but more than enough big plays. I mean, I think he had seven, yeah, he had seven completions of at least 20 yards. I mean, hey, the touchdown to Quez Watkins, you know, 32-yard screen. He had a, you know, Miles Sanders break loose for 26 at one point. But at the same time, you know, we can call these uh, tic-tac plays at some at, at some point, but Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, like all these guys were having some nice plays downfield as well, and it's not like they were consistently separating. Uh, Jeffrey, I was actually drawing some flags on Patrick Peterson, old PPED out there, and you know, for Hurts just to put the ball in a position for him to get that flag uh, says a lot about his ability to drop the ball uh, downfield in the tight window, so he's not the most polished passer yet, but at a minimum, we now know that he can put up a type of passing performance like this to be a legit fantasy QB1 rock star at this point. I mean, this is like the sort of production that we've been getting from, you know, a freaking Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. Like this sort of rushing usage is just so rare among all quarterbacks. And to pair that with actual high-end passing ceiling, like that's what we that's what we saw now. That's what we have in Jalen Hurts. We have one of the most active quarterbacks in the league in terms of running the ball. And now we know he also has 300 plus passing yards and three touchdown upside in his back pocket as a passer. So I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, just killing defenses from the pocket. But going against the Saints last week, he Posted PFF's third third single worst uh, just PFF passing grade for in a game by a rookie QB this year looked worlds better in ahead of that and hey that was his first start against a freaking really good Saints defense so you know we weren't writing him off as a passer by any stretch but this just really reinforces the idea that you know particularly in Week 16 against the Cowboys I mean look we're not gonna be putting the guy overall QB one but I will say he will be a top five QB for that smash spot against the Cowboys just brutal run defense so. Jalen Hurts, fantastic performance. Had two Hail Mary attempts at the end to try to win it. Just couldn't quite, uh, you know, get the ball into the end zone. So, you know, not perfect. I mentioned the six sacks. He also had three fumbles. Can't have that. Uh, you know, the touchdowns weren't overly impressive. Two short ones to Greg Ward and the screen to Watkins. But again, not exactly getting a bunch of separation otherwise. So fantastic game from Jalen Hurts. Also, we just note that Miles Sanders was out there playing, uh, you know, 82% of the offensive snaps, uh, 17 carries, 64 yards. Boston Scott was still out there for a little bit, but it does seem like with Hurts under center, they are back to giving Sanders that, you know, true featured workhorse role. I know there were some concerns about Jordan Howard and stuff like that, but hey. 
against the Cowboys, guys. Miles Sanders, top eight RB, no doubt about it. Uh, with the Cardinals, hey, can't say all these nice things about Jalen Hurts and not return the same favor to Kyler Murray. 406 passing yards, three touchdowns and interception. Also continued his uh, you know quest to get back to running. Eight carries, 29 yards and a touchdown. He now has 21 carries over the past two weeks after having just 15 in the three previous games. So most of this production was going to DeAndre Hopkins. Nine catches, 169 yards and touchdown on just 11 targets. Nobody else had more than five targets for the Cardinals. So thought this could be the spot we see, you know, Christian Kirk get back in action. But instead, Larry Fitzgerald had a nice touchdown catch in the back of the end zone. Old man Fitz. Max Williams popped off for a big 42-yard gain at one point. But look, it was DeAndre Hopkins. The touchdown was just beautiful kind of back shoulder contested play where you know Hopkins he gets a mitt on one of those balls and it just looks like a normal person holding a baseball his hands are so freaking big but you know he put the ball in his general vicinity he's going to come down with it and that was the case for most of the evening so Kyler Murray you know going in like to week 11 before he stopped running the ball he was literally averaging the most fantasy points per game ever in a single season at the quarterback position he is right back in the top five so looking ahead to you know their week 16 matchup you are going to have to really have a stacked the roster to find you know any reason to put Kyler on the bench yeah I know it's the 49ers it's not the easiest matchup we've ever seen but hey week one against the good version of the 49ers defense Kyler gave us a top five performance with his performance as a rusher so the only concern we have at Kyler briefly was he wasn't running as much those problems are in the past his shoulder seems healthier than ever Kyler Murray is back to being a rock solid upside QB1 uh quickly with this backfield yeah, not great, everyone. It looks like Chase Edmonds was maybe going to miss, and they were saying before the game he was going to be limited. Not quite. 52% snaps for Edmonds, 51% for Drake. Chase actually had 11 carries compared to 10 for Drake, and even looking at receiving, it was Chase, uh, you know, at five targets. Drake only at two. So Chase was the lead RB1, and he didn't, you know, completely blow away Drake. He did look better out there, as been the case throughout most of the season. But no, I don't think there's this, you know, takeover now in Week 16. I think we're going to continue to see them split the snaps as they largely have ever since Kenyon Drake came back from the ankle injury. This renders both really as, you know, uh, RB3s, particularly in a not ideal matchup against the 49ers. We saw Tony Pollard have some success, but... I just think the uh, touch floor is too low for either of these guys to really uh, feel too confident about running them out there in week 16. Um, don't think, oh right, yeah, one injury, Jalen Rager suffered an ankle injury, team high eight targets before that happened. So keep an eye. I don't love any of these Philly receivers still or the tight ends just because, you know, Hertz was spreading the ball out uh, enough as it was. Dallas Goddard was someone that, you know, had a, eight targets as well. So I guess he would be uh, someone that could potentially benefit. And obviously on the outside, you know, Watkins, Fulgham, Jeffrey, but I just think uh, Hertz is spreading the ball around too much this offense is still wants to be a run heavy unit which i think they can be against the cowboys wouldn't be overly optimistic about andy's wide receivers stepping up if rager is ultimately sidelined beautiful in matchup stats so one spot of hopkins game that has really shined more so in arizona than i think it did in houston is his ability after the catch we know he can do it all he had that wild play against the cowboys i think in 2017 where he was you know spinning around like three times on his way to getting uh the game winning you know getting them in position for the game winning field goal in overtime no one's ever doubted his ability after the catch but he's truly doing better than ever in that aspect of his game this year career high 19 missed tackles for this season previously he had never cleared 14 and we still got two weeks left so Part of that is just getting the ball more in screens and closer to the line of scrimmage. He has a career low 9.5 yard average target depth. But, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, a lot of these number one wide receivers, like we sometimes we 
focus more on just like the truly most elite version of the game for Hopkins. I would say that's his contested catch ability. He can come down with freaking anything that's in his, uh, you know, wingspan. It's absolutely ridiculous. But truly, you put the ball in DeAndre Hopkins' hands, there are not too many defenders that can take him down one-on-one. Quick Shout out to our sponsors. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription Access and one year, 365 days, of Action Pro Subscription Access through Action Network for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made uh, services to make Avid and new betters better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl, which is February 7, 2020. This offer also only applies to first-time Elite Annual subscribers, so good stuff there with our fine friends over at the the action network uh, game of the week chiefs beat the saints 32 to 29 vintage patrick Mahomes performance he didn't put up huge numbers but my goodness this guy made a good four or five plays that you know we always like to joke about you know in other games like hey if uh, you know Mahomes had done this it'd be all over espn for next week well Mahomes made about five throws that do literally deserve to be all over espn for next week maybe his best throw of the day in my opinion was him just rolling out somehow squeezing the ball like 30 yards downfield on the run to Sammy Watkins and it just went right off his hands. So I'm not picking, I don't want to pick on Sammy. He had a couple of nice catches in this game, finished with 60 yards. Uh, he's been fine, you know, even though he is having another season where the dude balls the hell out in week one and does absolutely nothing the rest of the year. I'm sure he'll have a good playoff run as he always does. But again, you know, it was just such a great throw. It's unfortunate it didn't come down with the catch, but we still saw, we still saw plenty of other great throws throughout the day. Uh, Travis Kelsey, eight catches, 68 yards and a touchdown. That was more or less just a goal line kind of, shovel thing it was like a you know i think the broadcast romo described it as like a you know chess pass in basketball just the things mahomes is doing is always so weirdly amazing but uh tyree kill six catches 53 yards and a touchdown and we also saw Miko hardman with nine targets three catches 22 yards and a score the touchdown to hardman was probably the pr- prettiest scoring throw just mahomes going to his left throwing the ball in just the smallest one though in the back left hand corner of the end zone and Miko, uh to his credit had a nice little toe drag swag there as well so starting to see Miko finally come up ahead of Demarcus Robinson maybe Robinson fumbling a punt into their own end zone the force of safety should have been a touchdown but Alex Anzalone uh, pushed the ball out the back for a touchback maybe we're finally seeing Miko Hardman get on the field ahead of Robinson Look, more goes into football and just pure speed, but you look at Miko and the things he's done on a yards per target basis. I just really find it hard to believe the Chiefs' offense is worse uh, with Miko Hardman on the field compared to Marcus Robinson. But uh, you know, still not someone we can exactly just fire up as a you know a realistic fantasy option next week, other than just you know a, a boomer bust kind of wide receiver four, wide receiver five type. But hopefully, 2021 is finally the year we see Miko uh, really break away in this offense with the backfield. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he was running well on one of the league's best run defenses. 14 uh, carries for 79 yards, but he got tackled super awkwardly. It was like doing the splits, and it looks like it's going to be a uh, hip leg injury that could keep him out for quite some time. So fingers crossed. I'm knocking on wood, but not looking good for Clyde. Le'Veon got banged up at the end with a horse collar tackle. He did pop up, though, and seemed okay on the sideline. So look, if Clyde's out... It's going to be Le'Veon Bell is going to be the recommended ad. But just realize, everybody, like this is not a situation that's it's surprisingly not been really all that helpful for fantasy-friendly running backs this year. And when we did see Clyde out before, it was almost split 50-50 between Le'Veon and Daryl Williams. So, hey, we saw Le'Veon. You know, he really worked ahead of Daryl Williams seemingly uh, throughout most of this one. Williams only had three carries, Le'Veon 15. Uh, you know, Le'Veon had the backfield's only target. But make sure you check out the uh, Wednesday edition of this podcast. I'm talking to uh, Dwayne McFarlane. He has 
one of the best uh, pieces of writing on the internet and the utilization report. And one of the things we always look at are, you know, what are the snaps in two minute, uh, you know, pass down situations. So I have a feeling we're going to get there and we're going to see Daryl Williams is still their two minute back looking at the snap splits. It was Clyde 45% snaps, Le'Veon 33%, Daryl Williams 23%. So I don't think it's going to be this, you know, workhorse role. You absolutely need to start Le'Veon. I think he's going to be pretty much what Clyde's been top 20 back closer to 20 than 10. Uh, certainly not someone we need to necessarily jam in the lineups because the Chiefs continue to let Patrick Mahomes throw to his heart's desires. All right, with the Saints, Drew Brees, 15 for 34. Like, oh man, it's rough. And he didn't play terrible. Like, he threw a nice bomb to Emmanuel Sanders for 51 yards, you know, shaking off all the noodle arm jokes we've been making all season. Also, a nice touchdown down the seam to, uh, you know, little Jordan Humphrey, uh, former Texas wide receiver. That's got some cool looking dreads. But look, other than that, he wasn't thrown to a ton of people. I mean, Michael Thomas was out with the ankle injury. Traquan Smith got hurt with an ankle injury. But I mean, at some point, you know, you only got Alvin Kamara three catches. Luckily, he took one of them in for a touchdown. Latavius Murray took a short uh, pass 24 yards for a touchdown just not the performance you want to see from Breeze and you know he's saying that he's not 100% but you know, don't fight your way to go on the field and then lose and then, you know, start blaming your health for it. So we know you're not 100%, man. And, you know, it's still three touchdowns against the Chiefs. They only lost by three after they were able to kind of drive down the field, down two scores at the end. But, yeah, just, uh, you know. Only lost by three to defending champs. Nothing to be too ashamed of, but hardly uh, something to feel too confident about with the Saints entering the playoff season because, again, same issue as last year. I just don't know if they really have a consistent threat to go downfield. Okay, Emmanuel Sanders had this nice 51-yarder in this one, but it was almost because Honey Badger just seemingly like didn't believe uh, Breeze actually would take that shot. Look, we've seen it. Their past two exits against the Vikings, I just feel like teams, specifically the Vikings when they played them, they clamp up, they you know double Kamara and Michael Thomas underneath and they dare anybody else to beat them. Emmanuel Sanders has truly been great over the past two years. The fact he played 17 games last year in the regular season uh, coming off the injury. 17, you know, with the trade, uh, midseason trade, the 49ers. I mean, he is truly a warrior out there and he was a better ball touchdown excuse me, is a better ball away from scoring the go-ahead touchdown in the Super Bowl. Like, Emmanuel Sanders still has it. He's balled out this year, too. But I just don't know if he is truly the difference maker to take this offense from the awesome regular season to, you know, middling postseason year that we've seen uh, for the better part of the back half of Breeze's time uh, with the team. So, hey, they should have Michael Thomas back for the playoffs. That's going to be huge. But they just don't still have, you know, that true field-stretching guy on the outside. And losing Traquan Smith doesn't help matters, too. Deontay Harris has been out for a little bit. Just a troubling lack of you know overall field stretching speed on the field for the Saints um, let's see Alvin Kamara played where is this 73% snaps in this Latavius Murray uh, 27% snaps only four carries for Latavius so you know it wasn't the overall just boom performance we were hoping for from Kamara with this first game with Breeze back in the lineup but people this is still a good thing I mean without Taysom on the center we can expect Kamara in a more normal game where they're not uh, where he's not going you know 15 for 34 where the guy that's been leading the NFL in completion rate gets a little bit closer to that 70% mark, which I think he will do against a much lesser version of a Vikings defense uh, that he's used to seeing that he gets week 16 at home again. So certainly expecting a bounce back performance from this passing game in that spot. Pifa Filoni matchup stat. So Travis Kelsey is about to join Tony Gonzalez as the only tight ends with five seasons as the number one fantasy PPR tight end since 20, since 2000, excuse me. Five seasons for Kelsey. It has been five consecutive seasons. 15, 16, excuse me, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. One after another, number one PPR tight end in the game. And look, again, Tony Gonzalez also has five. 
Gronk only had three. Jimmy Graham, Jason Witt, and Antonio Gates, they only had two such seasons. Like, this production that Kelsey is putting up is absolutely wild. And as we were talking about in last week's podcast, I mean, look, he's he's their number one tight end. He's number one tight end in the league, but I feel like that's almost disrespectful at this point. He should be in the arguments for a number one pass catcher in the league. He's been putting up the numbers to deserve that. Look, I'm not saying we would take Kelsey over a Metcalf, over a Devontae when it comes down to that. But you know what? We would take him over a lot of number one wide receivers. And the fact that that we could have a conversation, you know, is Kelsey in, you know, the top 15, top 12 of the overall number one pass game options just shows you how special he has been at the tight end position. Last game, everybody, Sunday night football was not exactly a uh, barn burner. The Browns took it to the Giants 20 to 6. Baker Mayfield was just another excellent game 27 for 32, 297 passing yards, two touchdowns. You know, the guy had those, th- uh, had the string of three games where the weather in Cleveland was just awful ever since he has been doing nothing except balling out. So, you know, only took one sack in this one. The Giants hardly made life too difficult for him. No James Bradbury out there. They couldn't rush the passer throughout the game. Again, it's not like Baker has done a ton over this stretch that has just said, you know, hey, this is now someone that when he's getting pressure, he can can consistently make the right decision and all that. When you look at his stats this year, he's been a top 10 quarterback when he's kept clean. When he goes under pressure, that's when all the problems arise. But hey, you know, we see Stefanski utilizing uh, play action more than ever. They have this great run game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. He's able to lean on and now that you know in this post obj version of the offense which at this point it's hard to dispute that they've been better without obj but come on the ceiling with obj is objectively better we just know that he is better than richard higgins than Donovan peoples jones you know in my opinion jarvis landry all the numbers aren't backing me up lately but the difference is that baker mayfield is no longer force feeding the ball to odo becker and we're seeing that you know just in spades really in this one uh, in particular jarvis landry eight targets you know richard higgins five hooper had six he's spreading the ball around he's throwing it to the guy that the ball should be going to instead of trying to force feed one individual player. So ideally, they could put Beckham back into this offense. Baker keeps spreading the ball around. And then eventually, when it's time to go to OBJ in one-on-one situations, he's going to win them because that's what he's done his entire career. So yes, the Browns are better off with Baker not force feeding the ball to OBJ. But if Baker could just not force the ball to OBJ and run the offense with OBJ as a part of it, I think we would see a better version of the Browns offense. So, you know, one of those things that I guess is hard for me to, you know, necessarily prove uh, that with Baker having such a such a problem with, uh, you know, not force feeding up Beckham when he's out there but Again, I just we know Beckham's a great wide receiver. I hate this argument. I still feel like it's too small of you know just a on-off splits with it. You know, hopefully the Browns in 2021 with Beckham back in the lineup can finally get the best of both worlds and bring this connection. Because I mean, I, I I was more excited than almost anyone to see Baker and Beckham originally look up. I've been a long time uh, you know OBJ just number one wide receiver in the league. Truth, and I know that sounds you know more ridiculous than ever in the year 2020, but it truly was a conversation not that long ago. So hopefully when Beckham gets healthy, they can go back to balling. But hey, right now it's Jarvis Landry's world. We're just living in it. Seven catches, 61 yards, and a score. After the touchdown, was talking all sorts of shit and drew a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Gotta love Jarvis Landry. Always blessing him after he finishes uh, scoring on him. But great throw from Baker on that touchdown, rolling out to his right and just pegged it right in a small window to Landry. So Hooper also had a touchdown uh, from the goal line. Just wasn't even a contested play. Nobody guarded him. So Nick Chubb, uh, you know, 15 carries. Kareem Hunt, only seven. We talked about it. This was not a great game for Kareem Hunt, and Nick Chubb is that, you know, consistent top 10 back. Kareem Hunt's the one that can have a little more problem in games like this where 
Yes, the Browns were leading throughout, but they never got to complete like blowout game script, and they weren't ever down in completely negative game script. So when they're in more neutral-esque uh, situations like this, that's where Nick Chubb just usually ends up being up on the field a bit more often than Kareem. Uh, quickly with the Giants, look, I mean, going in this week, the message from the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast was simple. Do not feel like you have to play anybody from this offense. That's exactly what we saw. Colt McCoy, only 221 passing yards. We saw him only go for, I believe, 110, or was even fewer than that against the Seahawks. And look, we've now had eight quarters with Colt McCoy. They have had two touchdown drives, both against the Seahawks. Those consisted of nine total passing yards from Colt McCoy to cover the 132 combined yards. Unless Wayne Gallman, Alfred Morris, Deion Lewis, unless any of these running backs want to pick up the yards, Colt McCoy is not going to drive them down the field. Hey, he's a veteran quarterback. I'm sure, you know, he tries to execute the play as the coaches draw it out. He doesn't go off script, but the range of outcomes with someone like Colt McCoy under center are just so low. And maybe the floor isn't as low as it would be with, you know, a more volatile option, but the ceiling certainly isn't anywhere near high enough to feel good about going to the well with him or anybody else involved in this offense in week 16. Wayne Gallman, nine carries. Alfred Morris had seven. I mean, guys, no. Do not start anybody from this Giants offense in Week 16. It's unfortunate. I mean, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, even Evan, Evan Ingram recently. Like, there's nothing wrong with these pass game options, but as long as McCoy's under center, the floor is just far too low for everyone involved. Now we're going to a matchup that's in Baltimore. Even if Daniel Jones comes back, I mean, him playing in the kind of reduced mobility that we saw last time, that's just not something that we can come even close to feeling good about. So stay the hell away from the Giants and week 17 that's gonna do it everybody thank you as always for tuning in the pff fantasy football podcast uh schedule for this week i know we got christmas hope everyone has a very uh, happy holiday season so we will be going you know podcast up until thursday we'll not be doing a uh, friday edition so we got friday night football and some saturday games uh make sure you check out pff.com we'll have some dfs and injury related content that you know i probably would have gotten to on that friday podcast so we'll still have all the information there for you i just will not be there to speak about it this friday in particular but hope we hope hope we 15 went well you know we're on the week 16 let's go get that championship not every day you get to play for a championship for a lot of us that will be this weekend so best of luck to that everybody thank you again for listening i'm ian hearts until next time take care everybody